like that. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Above Par Golf Show. So today's guest is Austin Truslow, professional golfer on the Corn Ferry Tour. Austin, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for joining me. So first of all, I just want to start with the start of your golfing career, your uh, golfing life. Tell us a little bit how you first got into golf. Why? How? Well, my my dad got me into golf when I was four years old. I, you know, played other sports uh, when I was younger, but golf was always my favorite sport because of the individual element of it. And I grew up in a really good environment for golf. You know, I grew up in a small beach town in Florida called New Smyrna Beach. And we had a great little Donald Ross municipal golf course that allowed junior golfers to play for free until they were 16 years old. And it was about five minutes from my house. So when I was younger, um, my parents would just drop me off and the golf course was pretty much my babysitter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was just a great environment for me because I had other good junior golfers to play with. And we played 36 holes a day in the summer. And um, it was just a great environment to, to learn to love the game and uh, be able to play in a very, you know, affordable and convenient way. And then, um, you know, so having fallen in love with the game, Growing up in Central Florida is also a huge advantage because of the level of competition at the junior level that we had so many of the best junior golfers in the country and we had a lot of the best coaches in the country. So I began when I was 11 working with Mike Bender, who lived, you know, who coached 45 minutes away from where I lived, which was pretty convenient for me. And then, uh, you know, I've been working with him ever since and uh, growing up in in central florida really i i think that there's a reason why i play golf if i didn't grow up in central florida i might not be playing golf today yeah i mean between that california as you said it's the probably the two biggest states isn't it for golf so were you playing anything else competitively or was it was it always golf well when i i stopped all sport other sports when i was 12 but i played soccer baseball basketball tennis um, nice. and I loved all of them. I love tennis, especially because it was also an individual sport, but I, I knew that I probably wasn't going to play it at as an elite of a level as I could golf. So yeah, I, I stuck with golf. I was going to say, were, were there any of the other ones where you could have made, maybe made it to the same level as your golf? Because I think it's something that happens quite commonly in America where some people, they, it could be really competitive with two different sports. Yeah, I I was a I I'm a gifted athlete, but I'm I wasn't gifted in in anything else that would have gotten me to the level I have in golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and you mentioned you coach Mike there. So you are you still with Mike today? I am. Yeah, yeah he's what he's got one of the biggest schools in America, is that right? I think top twenty five, something like that. Yeah, I think he's a top five or top 10 instructor and he has an elite academy there in Lake Mary, Florida. So how did you guys actually meet then? Did you say you just kind of stopped by his academy and got talking to him or yeah, how, how did that relationship I think start? My mom was searching for, you know, an elite instructor within an hour from where we lived and he was the best. So I just got set up with him when I was younger. Nice. And never looked back. 
Never, no. So what sort of things does he go through with you um, going back to the very start? Like what, what sort of things did he incorporate into your swing and change or, or, or how did he improve your game and get you to where well, you are now? I mean, I've built my entire game around what we've worked on. Uh, the first thing we did was I, like a lot of junior golfers, got on my toes at impact. Um, there's still quite there, – there are a few professional golfers who do that. I mean, Justin Thomas does it. Um, a bunch of LPGA tour players do it. It's a good way to gain speed, just kind of using the ground. Um, yeah, I think Bubba Watson does it too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that was the first thing we did because I, I had a typical inside-to-out path with a lot of uh, hand rotation through impact. And, um, you know, that's a lot of the tendencies that I had early on kind of standing up a little bit, you know, early extending in order to shallow the the club going into impact and then a little bit of extra hand release through impact. I mean, those are things that I still work on every day. Um, but I've, my whole swing's been built around the system he's created with the Megsa, uh, which and the Wegs, the Megs on the plane board, which are, you know, two great ways to get immediate feedback on your swing and really ingrain any type of swing move that you want to, regardless of who you work with as an instructor. Mm-hmm. What What do you feel? What do you feel like the kind of strong and weak parts of your game are throughout your career or even now? Like what you, What do you feel like you're really good at, and what's What's kind of your weaknesses? Um, the best part of my game is my driving and my, my approach shots from about a hundred to, oh, actually I'd say 75 to 175 yards. I've been working extra hard on, on my long irons, which I actually think I was struggling with because of the injury that I've had for a while. Okay. But uh, my left it's okay it's not the injury there's the difference between it, like the tendonitis I've had for a while and then the structural damage that I've recently experienced starting in April mm-hmm. um, I tore while playing uh, in Las Vegas I tore two tendons a tendon I mean I'm, I'm sorry I, I tore two ligaments a tendon my dorsal capsule and I have a I'm sure it didn't develop then, but I have a cyst as well, but the cyst isn't a big deal. So I just had surgery. Um, The tendonitis, I think, made me a little bit hesitant to maintain a lot of shaft angle, uh, like Mm -hmm. a shaft angle going into impact. And so I was occasionally uh, chunking some of my long irons and my woods um, where I didn't really, I don't really, I never previously had chunked it with those clubs that always I've always had a lot of lag in my swing mm-hmm. so I think uh last year even though I had one of the best I think I was number two or three in greens of regulation on corn ferry I still struggled from you know 200 to 250 uh and a lot of that was contact and mm-hmm. then you know building up to to Las Vegas I was starting to you know experience a little bit more pain but then it really gave out in Las Vegas. And so I just got surgery last week and okay. uh, hopefully, hopefully can build up uh, during the off season. You know, I mean, I'm not going to be pl- able to play the rest of the season. So hopefully, you know, get healthy and be ready to play for next yep. year. It's all, it looks like I'll maintain some status and be able to get in at least 
you know, four or five events. Mm. Uh, so. It's a shame, right? Because I think you're just sitting outside the top 75 at the moment. 77th, yeah. is it? And top 75 is the one that goes to the, the finals. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a bummer. It's, it's really unfortunate. But thankfully, uh was able to get surgery, in the, and the surgeon believes that this it was a successful surgery and I should be able to play, you know, hopefully by the end of the year. That's good. And how did that come about then? I know you said it was at the Vegas uh, tournament, but did you say it was something that kind of started maybe earlier than just happened at Vegas or was it a particular shot you did? Like how, how did that? Happen? Yeah, well, it happened on literally my last tee shot of the day, the first round, uh, the 18th hole. It's a really short par four and it was downwind and the ball goes far there. So I was only hitting a five iron off the tee mm-hmm. and I I hit the five iron, you know, pretty hard, but I didn't hit, I didn't even take a divot. The ground's really firm out in Vegas. I mean, it's a desert out there sure. and the, the ground is very thatchy. It's, um, you don't take, you know, those big, uh, sodded divots out there. It's kind of like a, I don't know. It's just very dense ground. Sure. And, uh, I hit the ground, but I didn't take a divot and the, and the head pat the like the club head passed the hands and I just felt an immediate pop in my, in my hand and wrist mm. and just had a lot of pain shooting up my forearm and down to my fingers. And I couldn't move my fingers without my hand hurting. And that, that was the first time where I wasn't able to play because of my wrist. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I played the rest of the hole with my right hand because <laughs> I, I, I didn't know how severe it was at the time. I thought maybe it was just something that was ridiculously painful, but by the next day would feel okay. But then mm. I quickly realized once I got in the car and couldn't even, you know, move my fingers without, without, you know, intense pain that I wasn't gonna be able to play the next day. Jeez. So that happened in your left side. Yes. Yeah, so you played the rest with the right. Is that is that where the right-handed chipping coming from then? Because you are yeah, you're, yeah, you're famous for the one-handed chipping, right? Yes, I chip with my right hand exclusively. Um, well, I mean, some shots that require two hands, whether it's a thick lie out of the rough or a flop shot or, um, you know, some other types of shots, maybe like a chip, like a putt chip kind of motion, I'll use two hands. So there are... I would say I use my right hand chipping at least 70% of the time when I'm around the greens, but there are circumstances where I'll use two hands. But where did, where did that one handed chip come from? When did you start to do that? And why? Uh, well, I started struggling my senior year of high school chipping. Um, I think I had some bad mechanical habits. I was delivering, uh, you know, the club from the inside with a shut face and that's that's just death while chipping especially off the tight bermuda lies that we have in the southeast sure and and i knew i had to change that so i you know started changing my a lot pretty much everything mechanically when it comes to chipping but i think i'd still i I had ingrained such doubt and fear of chipping because of my previous patterns that even though my mechanics had changed i really didn't have much confidence and so mm. I was search. I was searching for either, you know, a mechanical thought that could help, or, um, you know, any mental training that could help. And I, you know, started doing a one-handed drill to use the bounce and, uh, you know, deliver the club more on plane. 
and I immediately started chipping better with it. And I didn't, at first, I didn't even think to chip exclusively with my right hand. I was just trying to ingrain that pattern with my right hand and then be able to do it with the left hand on the club. But I realized over time that I just wasn't, that I wasn't having the success in practice with two hands that I was with one hand. So I figured, you know, a thing with golf is when you're playing on the mini tours, you you're willing to do anything to get immediate results because especially at my age, I mean, I didn't have any status in the United States um, or anywhere when I started chipping with one hand. And I thought that I probably, you know, chipping the way I was with two hands, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be able to, to get status. Um, even though my ball striking was the best part of my game and I could, I could win many tour events without chipping well at all. I still had to develop, I had to be able to chip at least, you know, I would say three or four out of 10 on the professional Mm -hmm. level to be able to play on any of the tours. So I had to be able to figure out a way to chip. I knew that I probably would never chip a 10 out of 10 by professional standards, but you have to be able to do it to at least a certain level to compete it on the PGA tour. So I I had to figure out a way. And at the time that was the only way that could get me to a three or four out of 10. Um, So that's what I stuck with. And I just tried to develop that the best I could while maintaining and gaining in the other areas of my game. Yeah. Are you surprised that more people don't do it? Because I, I mean, I've heard a lot of other professionals talk about it, but even myself, when I learned how to chip, my teacher basically explained it like, you really are only using that right hand to kind of guide the chip shot. You're not, your left is kind of just there for the ride. And I've heard yeah, a couple exactly. of professionals say that they, they have the exact sort of same feeling. So it's almost kind of like, well, do you really need your left hand on that club to do it? Yeah. I mean, for, I would say for the vast majority of chips around the green, simple chips and pitches, you really don't need your left hand. Um, it, it just enables you to have more shots with your left mm-hmm. hand. Um, so to, to play golf at the highest level, you know, if you're not hitting the ball well, you, pr- you do need your left hand. But in, at ter- for the amateur level and the junior level, uh, you, could pro- you could probably be the best junior golfer in the world or one of the best amateurs in the world without mm-hmm. your left hand on the club. And you could yeah. teach a lot. You could teach a lot of, you know, mediocre golfers chipping with their right hand and they would probably chip better. Yeah. So your, your golf teacher, Mike, he had no issues with that when you when you started to do it. No, Mike's Mike's a tinkerer at heart. That's really what he loves is developing, you know, new ideas and systems of getting better. And so he's open to to any any way that can help you get better he he's pretty much open to it so he didn't have any problems with it and mike and you know mike himself uh suffers at times with poor chipping Mm -hmm. and uh he understood so it really was no problem okay but your video just got off there but i'm uh, sorry yeah i've got it oh it's all right I'm sorry, Mike, I got a call coming in. I didn't know how to get rid of it. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, so, yeah, so just going back um, into your career then a little bit with college. Was, were you on the Virginia um, 
to uh, the college at the at the start, right? And then you decided to go back to Florida, playing mini tours nearby. Is that right? That is. So, what was the thinking behind that? Then, did you originally decide to go to Virginia to play in college, and then just backed out, or, or what? What happened with that? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what happened. I I uh, went to Virginia, having some doubts about moving up north and being in the colder weather, and and mm -hmm. most likely playing less golf. I was so spoiled my whole life in Florida, um, but Virginia has an incredible golf program. And you know, since I've since I left, they've built one of the best uh you know indoor training facilities in the world um so i you know if i if i was 18 years old now i might um i might have stayed uh but mm -hmm. I, but you know i had some doubts and you know as i said i was so spoiled in florida when in high school i was competing on i was playing the ajga events and florida junior tour events and uh you know hurricane junior golf tour events but i was also playing mini tour events you know with guys that play on the latin american tour the canadian tour the corn Ferry tour and even the pga tour and uh i was you know i got out of school my my junior and senior year of high school i would get out of class around 11 30 and be able to go straight to the course and i was pretty spoiled with the you know some of the best coaching and and competition already and it was it, it proved that, you know, that system that I had in high school, you know, led to me becoming one of the best junior players in the country when I was a good junior golfer before, but nowhere near that that level. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a system that was working and making me a better player. And uh, I knew that once I got to Virginia, that I was just more comfortable being back home, uh, sure. developing my game with that system and so I decided to come back home and get my degree from Rollins College while while working on my game and uh, I was able to develop a pretty flexible learning schedule there where I went to class at night so I could literally play you know tournaments two hours away every mm -hmm. you know within two hour radius every day and then come home and go to class so it was a it was a different way of doing it but it worked really well for me yeah, I mean, it looks like quite a different path because as well, could, did you have the option to play in a college in Florida um, or did you not want to do that either? Because like I said, you played those kind of mini tours, didn't you? But you didn't actually play for college, uh, Florida in, in college. No, I, uh, I was really lucky with my grades and test scores and the Florida education system with, you know, uh, academic scholarship to where I I. I could go to school for a very low cost and then mm -hmm. live where I was living beforehand and, and work on what I needed to there. Um, so it wasn't, I'd thought a little bit about playing college golf, but at the same time, considering I was getting a, a good degree at a low cost and also working on my game, I figured it made sense to at least be able to make money while playing. So sure. that's what I did. Well, yeah. Cause I imagine there's probably a lot of players that, have to put all their eggs in one basket in terms of the golf and, and just try and go for it despite the cost and hope that they're going to make it and obviously it doesn't always work out that way yeah exactly and the thing is what what's so wonderful about about college golf is you get to play you know against the best players on the best courses um with you know and it's all for free you know yeah. that that's that's what i missed i missed competing 
against the best peers my age, as well as competing on the most elite courses in the country. That's, that's probably the thing that I, the core, the courses and that schedule a college coach is able to give you at the elite division one level is what I missed most doing what I was doing because the mini tour courses you play in Florida are shorter, older courses that are require very low scores um and in easier conditions you know on the co- college players play the toughest schedule of anyone yeah. even t- even tougher than the pga tour because they're playing the hardest courses in the country um not in season you know they're not and then when the pga tour plays a course it's usually the best weather that course will have that time of year and the course will be in the best condition that time of year but the college kids play you know sometimes in freezing weather on the hardest yeah. courses and sometimes they're playing 36 holes in one day. So it's, it is, I think college golf does prepare you to face the hardest conditions that you'll ever face, which is possibly the most valuable uh, aspect of college golf. Yeah. And besides from the club fairy tour, you played a little bit in some of the Asian tournaments as well, I saw. And did you play in Canada Q school for a little bit? I didn't play on the Canadian tour. I did okay. Canadian Q school. I think, yeah, Q school. Times, I think I did the Q school a couple times. I never got through. Um, I don't think I ever played it when I was chipping one-handed. I think I was really struggling with the chipping while I was playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I won both stages of Asian tour Q school in 2000. 18 2019 or 18 or 19 and then um it was kind of a weird situation where I was playing over in Asia but I got an exemption into the Puerto Rico Open and then I played really well in the Puerto Rico Open got a top 10 and then I decided to stay in the United States to do the Monday qualifiers because if you make a cut on the PGA Tour you don't have to do pre-qualifying the rest Mm -hmm. of the season and I saw that I did the math with my agent and we saw that if I could get one or two more solid finishes that year, that I could get into the Corn Ferry Tour finals with the PGA Tour, which obviously would do a lot more for me than, mm-hmm. than staying in Asia. And looking back on it, I'm really glad I didn't stay in Asia because I might still be there with COVID, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? Um, so it, it turned out to be the right decision. I ended up, you know, Monday qualifying into a couple other events on the PGA Tour that season, but I didn't make any of the cuts. So I had to go to Corn Ferry Tour Q School that fall. Yeah, so it was 2019, right, when you played in the Puerto Rico Open? Yes, 2019. Was, was that the one where you hit the hole-in-one, did I see on your Instagram? Yeah, on the 70th hole, I had a hole-in-one. It was it was the most. It was such an emotional roller coaster that week. I had the goal of getting a top 10, but I'd just come off, I think, three missed cuts in Asia, and I was jet-lagged. You know, I flew from Australia to Puerto Rico, which is just about the most brutal flight you can do. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then my clubs didn't get in. And uh, it was just kind of a disaster leading up to it. But I, I just kind of put my hands up and said, you know, it's, I can't control anything other mm-hmm. than what, you know, I can do on the course. And so I played really well that week and got that lucky hole in one and uh, just snuck in the top 10. I tied for 10th and then got in the, uh, the Honda Classic as a result. 
Yeah. And then you had a pretty good run last year in the Cobb Ferry, three top five finishes. What's your mm-hmm. kind of highlights of your career been so far up until now? Uh, as a junior golfer? Uh, I, just, just in general, like things, you've, ach- general. things you've achieved yeah, in golf in general. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the what uh, being awarded the Byron Nelson Award my senior year of high school was really cool. Um, that's one of the you know most prestigious awards you can receive as a junior golfer. Um, winning the players, junior the junior players was huge because that's one of if not the biggest junior tournament in the world. Um, you know, winning both stages of Asian Tour Q School in Thailand when I'd never been to Asia before was really was a really cool experience. Um, obviously, getting a top ten on the PGA Tour. Um, was amazing yeah and and especially because that was like my that was my first pga tour start as a professional so that that was really cool accomplishment and then um last year getting three top five finishes on the corn ferry tour including one second place finish where i thought when i was walking off the 18 pole i hadn't seen any leaderboards and i thought i'd won it um yeah it was kind of funny i mean and at the time I was like almost breaking down because I was just like so overwhelmed with just emotions because of every, I mean, every professional golfer has, has just endured hell at some point. And, mm-hmm. you know, right now I'm enduring a lot. So, you know, it's going to feel even more rewarding if I can get back out there and, and accomplish more. Yeah. But, uh, what, what sort yeah. of timeline have they put on the injury then? The, like the doctors and stuff, when should you be getting back to, to playing? Um, there isn't a set timeline. I have a cast on for the next eight weeks. I have four, four, well, I have stitches or sutures in, and then I also have four pins in my, in my wrist right now. One of them sticking out of the skin. So I can't, I, I actually, I can't sweat or get wet right now at all because I can get infected. So I'm like confined indoors because i live in florida so yeah. i mean florida florida this time of year if you if you're outside for more than two minutes you start to sweat so it's i'm like a prisoner right now honestly <laughs> crazy yeah, it's and pretty tough it's gonna be i would say it's, it's probably gonna be at least three four months until i can find some sort of normalcy with my daily activities yeah and I want to touch on a couple of other stuff that I saw that you've done. I don't know if the, if the charity is still going, but you launched a charity in 2018, um, the Birdies for Charity to benefit Dave Thomas Foundation. The Dave Thomas Foundation, adoption. yes. So is, is, is that still running today? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's, it's not. I'm not running it today. I will donate this year to the charity. Um, Dave Thomas Foundation is one of the leading foster care foundations in the, in the United States. It was founded by Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, who was actually a foster child himself. And, um, you know, it's a great organization. And my, my mom's a guardian ad litem who and what she does with that is, you know, handles um affairs for children in very difficult domestic situations. And so growing up, you know, I've been very fortunate to have you know, parents that love each other that are together, um, that, and, you know, great home life. And, you know, that's probably one of the greatest crises facing our country today is, you know, a lot of with, you know, high divorce rates and, you know, a lot of uncommitted fathers and, um, a lot of mental health problems and drug abuse problems 
uh, a lot of children don't grow up in, in loving homes. So that's probably if you were to do one thing, in my opinion, to do one thing to help, you know, the country or any, any country in the world, it'd be to, to help children and, and struggling families. So that's, that's the charity that I chose to, to raise money for and going forward, that's the charity that I'll stick with. Yeah. And talking of kind of like the mental health and the mental side of golf, um, I think your caddy as well is doing, is it called Mental Golf? Uh, it's a mental, podcast, is it? And well, he has a podcast, but he also has a website. It's called mm-hmm. mentalgolftype.com. Um, he's developed a system that coaches and players can use to better understand uh, what creates their stress, specifically based on their personality type, as and as well as, you know, how they can get to their how they can shift from their stressed mode to their best mode and create the best performances for themselves on the course or in life. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it must be pretty close to your heart, especially now with you being out injured. It's got to be something that's, that's obviously tough for yourself yeah. as well as other golfers. So, um, yeah, it sounds like a, a really good cause and a really good. It's, uh, it's, it's awesome. I, I would recommend all of your viewers to go at least check it out, mentalgolftype.com and, um, at least get the free, take the free test, learn your type. And um, even if you don't apply it for golf, you can apply it to your daily life. Yeah. Well, listen, Austin, it's great to talk to you today. And I hope we uh, see you soon on the, on the Corn Ferry Tour again when you're fit and well. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks for having me. No problem. And everybody that wants to find you, it's on Instagram. It's Austin Truslow one uh, Is there anywhere else yeah. that anybody can find you for your content? Um, that's it. That's it. All right, man. Cool. Well, thanks very much for taking the time out. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody.